uh, for that, uh, for, for indulging me to share a little bit of that with you this morning. Again, if you have questions, let me know. So we are in a series called Living Hope. We kicked it off last Sunday on Easter Sunday, and we declared the living hope that we have through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And last week we talked about the reality of the living hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And we talked about the importance of hope, especially in the world that we are living in today. All the uncertainty and all of the conflict, we need hope more than ever before. And so we talked about the, the reality, the fact that we can have hope, a, a real hope, a hope that is not just an optimistic a desire or wishful thinking, but a hope that is solid and secure. The kind of hope, Romans 5 says, that will not disappoint. But there were a few things we needed to understand about that hope. And the first one is that it, real hope must be a living hope. In other words, can't be based on the past. It can't only be based on the future. It, it needs to be right here, right now in our lives. And scripture says we have that kind of hope, a living hope, living, breathing reality, accessible hope. That kind of hope must be entered into, 1 Peter 1.3 says. It says, we're given new birth where we can enter into a living hope. And hope, real hope, living hope that will make a difference in our lives is not something that we kind of sprinkle into our life. We don't just sprinkle a little bit of hope in our life and think that's going to get us far enough. We can't manufacture it from within ourselves either. We must enter into it. So here's hope over here, and we've got to step across the line and enter into hope. We have to enter into hope, and then hope will get us to the promise of the future. Hope will get us where God has designed for us to go. I was talking to a guy last night at our uh, Love Your Neighbor outreach event, and he was talking to me about some goals he had in life and, and some struggles that had set him back, and he was, he was really having a hard time knowing where he wanted to go and, and where he believed God was leading him, but he felt like it was really slow. It was really slow, and, and, and he was tempted to, to try to take things back under his control so that he could get to where he wanted to go. And, and we talked about the reality that when, when God is, is leading us in his hope, that's something we have to enter into. It's not something we can do on our own. When we enter into hope, it's, it's like getting on a bus. The bus driver knows where he's going, and he knows how to get there. And we might have other ideas. Well, you know, if you would take a left here, it would be quicker. But the bus driver knows what he's doing. And he might stop to pick up some more people along the way. And we might say, no, I, hurry, hurry. I want to get there right now. But when we enter into hope, we will get to the destination. And, and God knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us and has the power to pull it off. And when we enter into hope, into the hope that he has for us, then he, uh, he will get us safely across. It's not something we can do on our own or manufacture on our own. We can't be optimistic enough. We can't be positive enough. We can't be uh, hopeful or wishful enough on our own. We have to enter into his hope. And then we saw that that hope comes through the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. That hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? So that was our review from last week. And this morning, I, I want to answer this question. Why is it that we need this hope? Why is it that we need this living hope? It's available to us, and we can enter into it through the resurrection, but, but why do we need it? Why do we need it? Hope implies that there is a need for hope, right? It, we, we need hope, and, and it's really important to address exactly what it is that causes us to need hope. There are situations and times in our life where, where, where we don't feel hopeful and where we feel like hope is lost and where we feel like we're, we're never going to get there. And, and we need hope. So this morning, I, I want to talk about the reason for hope. And we have to be really honest about it. We have to be really honest about this hope that we need. There's something called false hope. Anybody ever heard the phrase false hope, right? You can put your hope in certain things, but they don't pan out. You can think you need one thing, but it's not the thing that you really need. So we have to be honest about our need for real hope. There's a, there's a guy named James Stockdale. He was a vice admiral in the Navy, and he was a prisoner of war during Vietnam. He was the highest ranking officer to ever be a prisoner of war. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for several years, and as a result of his high rank and the time that he spent in captivity, he endured incredible torture and horrors under the hands of his captors. And uh, somebody was interviewing him once, and, and they said, how did you survive? And he said, I never lost faith that I would prevail in the end. I never lost faith that I would prevail in the end. And they said, well, who is it that didn't make it? Who, who are the people that didn't make it? He said, that's easy. It, it's the optimists. And the person kind of scratched their head and said, wait a minute. How, how is faith that you'll prevail in the end different than optimism? He said, well, the optimist says, we'll be out by Christmas. And when we don't get out by Christmas, they're crushed, but they say, okay, well, maybe by Easter. When it doesn't happen by Easter, they're crushed, but, you know, maybe next Christmas. And when it doesn't happen the next Christmas, then they give up, all hope is lost, and they end up dying of a broken heart. And so he made this statement. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. See, hope is not this thing where we just put our head in the sand and pretend that life isn't hard or that there aren't difficult things that we have to face. Hope is the thing that allows us to face those difficult circumstances, Hope doesn't just pretend that everything's okay. Hope doesn't just brush things under the rug. Hope deals with the reality that's set in front of us and allows us to move forward. So this morning, why is it that we need hope? We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. But we are going to look at a lot of scripture. What I want you to know is that... Um, my opinion is just as good as your opinion. And your opinion is just as good as my opinion. And so I don't want to just share an opinion with you this morning. I, I want to share from God's word. 
which is authoritative, which is truth, which is active and alive and has the power to transform our lives. So we're going to use a lot of scripture to help us understand our need for hope. So let me pray and then we'll get into it. God, use your word in our lives today. God, stir up within us a desire for your hope, not our own manufactured hope, not hope that our culture tells us will get us through, but the hope that only comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, show us our need for your hope this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna start at the beginning, Genesis chapter two, which tells us why we need hope. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and God gave them some instructions in the garden. So let's look at Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, and it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the concept of original sin, which is a Christian doctrine that, that states that, that humanity is living in rebellion to God because God gave some instructions at the very beginning to man and woman. He said, you have this garden. Everything is available to you. Eat from any tree that you want, but there's one that you shouldn't eat from. If you do, you will surely die. Genesis chapter 3 tells us this. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's already sowing this lie. God had said you can eat from any tree in the garden but one. So the woman said, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This doubt began to surface in the woman's mind that Maybe God isn't really as good as I think he is. Maybe he really doesn't have my best interest at heart. And so, Scripture continues. Verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? It says the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. It doesn't say it was this scary tree and the fruit had spikes on it and, you know, it was like smoking with green smoky poison. It doesn't say any of that. It says it was a good-looking tree, and the fruit looked really good, too. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. God had created humanity, man and woman, to live in relationship with him in this garden, to live in, in a state of openness and honesty and vulnerability and sincerity. But when they stopped believing that God was good, 
when they stopped believing that God knew what was best and wanted what was best for them, when they put their hope in this pretty fruit, everything changed. It says all of a sudden they became aware that they were naked. Simply what that means is shame entered into their life. Shame entered into their life for the first time. Before that, Scripture says they were naked and unashamed. Only weirdos are naked and unashamed, guys. I'm just telling you. Because of sin. But at this time in creation, humanity had no shame because God had made them for this open relationship with him. But then they said, you know what? Maybe God isn't all that good and maybe he's hiding something from us. And there's something out there that's better than him and so I'm gonna try this fruit. And everything changed. Then the man and the wife in verse eight heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord, called, the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave me gave it to me. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And immediately... Shame and blame enters into the human race because they stopped believing that God knew what was best and wanted what was best for them. And they believed that there was some other thing that they could put their hope in that would satisfy them more than God. In Romans chapter 5, we're told that by one man, sin entered into the world. Therefore, death passed upon all men. And because of the sin of, of doubting God and putting their hope in other things, sin entered into the human race. And so this morning, our need, our need for hope, comes because of sin. And I, I, I want to I help us understand sin this morning because talking about sin doesn't seem very hopeful and we're, we're in this series on hope and, and it seems like, come on, man. If I want hope, you know, I just need you to talk about positive stuff so I can be hopeful. But remember, to really experience hope, we have to face the brutal facts of reality in order to experience hope. We can't just bury our head in the sand. And so I, I want to talk about sin for just a minute, and I want to help us understand the reality of sin in our life. So there's sin and there's virtue, and we think of them as opposite things most of the time. Well, all of the time, right? You, you, you're either sinful or you're virtuous or you're good. But as we read the story of the garden and the woman who ate of the tree that was beautiful to look at and had fruit that was tasty and, and it would give her knowledge, I mean, that doesn't sound sinful. That sounds kind of virtuous. It's beautiful. It's good. It's useful for obtaining knowledge. 
So what is the difference between sin and virtue? We, we live in a world um, where we practice something called common virtue. In other words, there are certain rules, not, not God's rules, but just rules of society, this kind of social contract that causes us to behave in a certain way. You know, we know that if we lie to our boss at work and we get caught, we'll lose our job. So what is it that motivates us not to lie? Well, the fear of losing our job. <laughs> you know, maybe somebody's asked you the question before, if you could get away with it, what would you do? <laughs> and we're like, oh, no, not me, not me. We behave in certain ways in general in society because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of getting caught. We're afraid of going to jail. I remember when I was a kid, um, I, w I was always afraid that I was going to get arrested. If I said a bad word, I thought, oh, no, somebody's going to find out and the police are coming and they're going to arrest me. I, I, that was a legitimate fear in my life. And when I found out the police weren't going to arrest me for saying bad words, I thought, oh, <laughs> I could get away with that? <laughs> That's a silly example. But if we're being honest, there's things in our life that when we realize we can get away with it, it just doesn't seem that bad anymore. That's, it's not that big a deal. Not hurting anybody. There's this fine line between sin and virtue because we can do the right things for the wrong reasons and it's not really virtuous. We can do the right thing for the expectation of reward. I could, I could give someone a gift and if they don't give me a gift back, then I'm really mad. That was not really a gift, was it? <laughs> I mean, I spent, I spent $50 on your gift and you only got me a stick of gum. That, that wasn't a gift. That was an exchange. That was a transaction. And when we view our good deeds, our, our virtue as transactional, it's no longer virtue. So what does that mean? That means in our lives, if, if we think I'm going to do good things so God will owe me. Well, that's sin. <laughs> We're trying to put God in our debt and in our good graces, and it's no longer virtue. And a lot of times we think, well, I don't do all the bad stuff. You know, there's the list of all the really bad stuff. I don't steal very much. You know, Maybe I put some stuff on my taxes. It's not totally true, but, you know, they don't, they don't need my money anyway. I, I, don't, I, don't, um, I don't break the law, except for when I'm driving. You know, I don't have a bad temper, except for when I'm driving. You guys know the list. And we've all got our own list, right? 
I've got a list that says, okay, I don't do those things. These things are, they're not that big a deal, but I, I don't do those things. Well, all of our lists are a little bit different. The question is, why do we do what we do? Sin is evil. And there are some things we look at and the evil is obvious. And then there are some things we look at and on the surface, it doesn't look that evil. It's kind of like the fruit that was pleasant to look at and good for food and useful for obtaining knowledge. And it didn't seem like that big a deal to the woman. Except that God knows what's best and wants what's best. And when we live outside of his clear instruction, then it's sin. God designed and created the universe. As I read this story about the man and the woman and the serpent in the garden, maybe some of you are going, do you really believe that? I really believe that. I really believe that God created humanity in his image for relationship, and I really believe that humanity rebelled against God by disobeying his clear command, and as a result, sin entered into the world because God designed the universe in a certain way. It's kind of like a, a clockmaker who designed a clock in a certain way. And if one of the gears in the clock said, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to move. If that gear drops out and tries to go somewhere else, then everything just gets bound up and the clock doesn't work right anymore. And that gear gets crushed by all the other gears. So Romans chapter 8 tells us that because of humanity's sin, if you have the scripture for Romans chapter 8 there, guys, on the screen, verses 20 through 25, it tells us that creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. When we cease to believe that God really knows what's best and wants what's best, and we try to find a hope that fits our desires instead of his desires, then we subject not only ourselves, but the lives of the people around us to futility. There are consequences for our actions and they affect the lives of others as well. See, sin is believing that anything outside of the beauty and goodness of God will satisfy us. Sin is believing that anything outside of God and his beauty will satisfy us. Anything outside of God and his beauty. Might even be good things, but if you're trusting in that good thing instead of God and his beauty to satisfy you, it becomes sin. We talked about this in our relationship series a, a few weeks ago that, that, that marriages and, and families are a good thing, but if, the, if your marriage or your family becomes the thing you put your hope in instead of God, it's no longer good. And it will suffer because God didn't design your life that way. He designed you to look to him and his beauty. 
And so the woman was deceived by the serpent with this subtle lie that said, I mean, come on, look, that's a, that's a good looking tree. How bad could it be? Look, that, that fruit, that is a tasty looking piece of fruit. How bad could it be? And you're going to learn something when you eat that fruit. You ought to eat it. She believed the lie. Sin is putting our hope in anything besides God and his beauty. So why do we need hope? We need hope because of our sin and rebellion. We have to be honest about where we're at. And the truth is, we many times trust in ourselves or other things instead of God. And there's lots of things in life that God gives us clear instructions about because he wants what's best for us and knows what's best for us. And we say, how bad could it really be? It makes me happy. How bad could it really be? It feels so good. How bad could it really be? It's beautiful. And it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter how good it makes you feel. That's not our basis for sin or virtue. Our basis for sin and virtue is that God knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us and any time we think we know better and trust in our own wisdom, our own way, it's sin. Here's the good news though. From the very beginning, when man stopped believing that God knew what was best and wanted what was best for them, when man tried to make his own way, God still had a plan for redemption. God still had a plan for redemption. This is our hope. So man and woman, they disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit that God said, do not eat from because the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Little Lucas, who was just born on Tuesday, you and I, the minute we're born, we start dying, <laughs> right? The minute we're born, the minute we breathe our first breath, that's one less breath that we have. That is the condition of humanity in sin. God said, the minute you eat from it, you will surely die, but God had a plan. God had a plan to bring hope in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, God speaks to the serpent who deceived the man and the woman. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal, and you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel and just leave it here for just a minute. This is not just about people being afraid of snakes. How many of you are afraid of snakes? That, yeah. My wife is terrified of snakes. There's some of you in here that you have snakes for pets. 
you know, I'm not going to judge you, but <laughs> just saying. But that's not what this is about. This is prophetic. When God spoke to the serpent, he said, I'll put hostility between you and the woman. He didn't just mean that every time she sees a snake, she's going to be afraid. And between your offspring and her offspring, he's pointing to something different. He's pointing to something in the distance. He's pointing to something yet to come. Because ultimately the offspring of Eve is humanity. And there is one man, God in human flesh, who entered into humanity, became the offspring of Adam and Eve. He entered into humanity as the son of God and the son of man. And this verse is pointing to the one who would come. And God says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And it's pointing to the reality that is yet to come. But the reality that one day the one who was born of woman, God in human flesh, would strike and crush the enemy. The one who deceived humanity into rebellion against God. But also that sin would cause him to suffer. You will, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It gives us a picture that this one son of God and son of man who would enter into humanity would suffer. Nails would pierce his hands and his feet. But as we celebrated last week, three days after his death, he would raise triumphantly from the grave and he would defeat sin and death and hell and the grave. And the God who knows what's best and wants what's best and designed humanity in his image to live in relationship with him and who said, guys, this is what's best for you. You can have any tree in the garden, but there's one that is not good for you. The minute you eat it, you'll begin to die. And they said, how bad could it really be? God doesn't really mean that, does he? And they began to doubt God's goodness and that he really knew what's best and wanted what's best and they walked into sin. And because of their sin, Romans 5.12 says that sin passed upon all men. But a few verses later in Romans 5, 17, we're told this. If by one man's trespass, that is Adam and Eve, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in this life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The one that that prophetic scripture was pointing to, the one man, Jesus Christ, who would come, son of God and son of man, God in human flesh. And life would reign through him. The reason we need hope is because we're sinners. That's the brutal reality. 
And we can try to pretend that our sin is not sin. And we can try to pretend that, that it's okay because culture tells me it's okay. And we can try to pretend like we can just stick our head in the sand and pretend like it's never going to catch up to us. But there is a God who knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us. And in fact, the consequences of our sin is his grace towards us because it reveals to us that we really do need hope. A hope that will not disappoint. A hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death. If by one man's trespasses, death reigned how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Rebecca read this verse earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and, and see, the new has come. Last week, we talked about entering into hope. We enter into hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this verse says, if anyone is in Christ, enters into Christ through the living hope of the resurrection, he becomes a brand new creation, no longer condemned because of sin, but brand new. Everything is from God, verse 18 says, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that sin that separated us from God. We're now reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins, their rebellion against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And so this morning, I declare from God's word the message of reconciliation. That when we fail to believe that God knows what's best and wants what's best, and we try to pursue other things outside of the goodness and beauty of God to satisfy us and to bring us hope, we are living in sin. And we might do that through religious effort, or we might do that by wiling out. <laughs> And saying, there's only one life, I'm going to get all I can while I'm here. Either way, if we're not looking to God as our source of hope and satisfaction and salvation, we're in sin. But God sent Jesus Christ to reconcile humanity to himself. Verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because he made the one, Jesus Christ, who did not know sin, who had never sinned, who had never rebelled against God, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We need hope because of sin. The good news is hope is available to us, but we must enter into it through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We can't manufacture it. We can't enter into a false hope we must enter into the real hope of the resurrection. 
This morning, as we think about hope, we have to be honest with ourselves. We need it. We need it. It's not just, you know, sprinkles and whipped cream. <laughs> it's not just a, a cute, nice idea. It's not just a, you know, a sticker on our window that brightens our day. No, hope is real. Hope is necessary because there is a darkness. There is real sin. Sometimes we don't think it looks that bad. Sometimes we think, come on, I'm not. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm a good guy. We have to be honest. We need hope. We need hope. We need hope. The good news is hope is available. We enter into it through Jesus Christ. And this morning, I declare on the authority of God's word that God made him who knew no sin, who had never sinned, who had never lived in rebellion against God. Perfect, blameless, holy. God made him, caused him to become sin, to become sin for us. Come on, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> By one man's sin, death entered in. by one man, Jesus Christ, life. God made him to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hope is available. The reason God made hope available to us is because we need it. We need his hope. We need his salvation. We need Jesus Christ. Yeah, 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 but I don't want anybody telling me what to do. <laughs> That's what it boils down to, if we're being honest. When, when we choose not to follow Jesus and, and put our faith in him and, and choose to live life our own way, we're like rebellious teenagers. I spent several hours with a 16-year-old kid last night. <laughs> Had a long conversation with him about some choices that he was making in his life. And it boiled down to him saying, I, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. And we've all, those of us who are parents, we've had those conversations with kids and we think, man, they're dumb. but we do it too. 
just taught my son David to ride his bike. I said, Dave, you got to stay on the sidewalk, though, because cars drive fast through the neighborhood. But the street is so much wider. It's a really good place to ride a bike. You know what? It's a really good place to ride a bike. He's right. But I know something that he doesn't know. God says, look, I know what's best. I want what's best for you. Follow me. Follow me. Live under my authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But over here, that that looks like a really good place to ride a bike. God knows something we don't know. So we have to trust that he knows what's best and wants what's best and he really is good. So stand up with me, Lord, this morning. Help us to put our hope in you. That means we have to trust that you know what's best and want what's best. God, it's easy to look around at the things that this life offers us and think that will make me happy. That will truly bring satisfaction. God, the end of those things is always disappointment and ultimately death, spiritual separation from you. But God, you made a way through Jesus Christ for us to enter into hope. So this morning, God, help us to confront the brutal reality of our rebellion. Lord, don't let us make excuses. Don't let us flirt with the things that we know displease you and bring us harm. But God, let us live in submission to who you are. Let us enter in to your hope and salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who needs to put their faith in you for salvation, who's maybe been trying to do life on their own terms, and they recognize that it's a dead end. God, I also pray for those in here this morning who have been doing life on their own terms, and things are going good for them. They feel like it's okay. But God, I pray that right now you would speak to their heart through your Holy Spirit and convict them and point them to you so that they could enter into real living hope. God, transform us by your word, by your gospel. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a chorus of a song, but before we do, I just want to ask the question, is there anybody with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute, is there anybody who says, this morning I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ, I, I need to enter into hope? You've never come to a place in your life where you've put your faith in him. Maybe, maybe you've doubted that he even exists. Maybe you've been trying to put your faith in your own efforts. Maybe you've just said, I, I don't want to follow him. I don't want him telling me what to do. But today you would say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. If there's anybody like that, I just want to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody like that at all? Today I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we sing this next song.
just it's the song that we sang that says Christ is our hope in life and death I, I pray that you would be encouraged let it be your prayer this morning and let's live in hope let's live knowing that God knows what's best and wants what's best and has the power to pull it off if we will live in his hope and strike instead of trying to manufacture a hope on our own so let's sing to the Lord